Now, last year, the death, the murder of George Floyd sparked protests around the world. And it put the Black Lives Matter movement right into the global consciousness and spotlights. Uh, in Bristol, where we used to live, you'll remember pictures of that statue of a former slave trader being toppled and then thrown into the harbour. If you watch football, you'll know that premiership footballers are still taking the knee before each and every game. And I wanted to say something last year when all this uh, you know, began kicking off. But to be honest, I felt overwhelmed and distinctly underqualified to say anything with integrity. And I felt that you know, anything I said might just feel like a, a token knee-jerk reaction. And so I put off saying anything. And then I realized that my inaction was part of the problem. You know, addressing racism is one of those difficult topics that the church has put off too often, that I have put off too often, for fear of saying the wrong thing or saying it in the wrong way. But then my silence becomes collusion and only reinforces the status quo. And so I became convicted that I, it was better for me to say something, however inadequate my words, than to say nothing. Of course, it's not that we haven't done anything over the years. Some of you joining online uh, haven't yet been able to come into our church building. But uh, when you do, if you get a chance, uh, you'll notice we've got some flags up. We put those up after the Brexit referendum and after the wave of racism which followed it. Flags from lots of different countries to make it clear that we are a church for people from every nation. It was a visual indicator. But we still didn't talk about the topic of race from the Bible. And over the last six months, I have read, I've watched, I've listened. And over the next few months, I want to speak three or four times on this topic of race and racism, fully aware that I'm only going to begin to scratch the surface. At some point, I hope to invite uh, more people of colour to speak into this as well. But I felt it's important for me as a white pastor to say something first. You see, racism isn't just something, isn't just an issue for people from BAME backgrounds. Racism is an issue for every white person, too. My guess is that the vast majority of white people watching this, you know, won't think of yourselves as racist. I certainly don't think of myself as racist. But the more I've read and listened, the more I've realised how unconsciously racially biased I am. And the more I've realised how much I have yet to learn. And so I hope that those of you who are watching who are white will have the grace to learn along with me. And those of you who are watching from a BAME background will have the grace to forgive me when I inevitably and unintentionally somehow misrepresent you or say things which add insult to the existing injury. So let me begin by trying to show you a theme, one of the great sort of arching themes that goes throughout the Bible. <clears throat> Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, uh, the word Genesis means beginnings, and it's the, it's the beginnings of the world, the beginnings of humanity, the beginnings of God's relationship with humanity. But one of the things Genesis emphasizes is about the beginnings of nations and diversity. So Genesis chapter 10 is one of those apparently boring lists, which the Old Testament seems to delight in sometimes. And it's a list of many different nations and an explanation of where they all originated from. And then the next chapter, Genesis 11, talks about the Tower of Babel 
an explanation of the different languages and how they uh, have sparked disunity amongst the nations. And then comes Genesis 12, which is one of the most fundamental chapters in the whole Bible. And God called a childless Abraham to leave his country and to go to another land. And the Lord told him, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God's plan was never just to bless Israel, but the plan was always to bless all nations through Israel. And one of the great tragedies of the history of the Jewish people in the Bible was that Israel twisted the fact that God had chosen them into the wrong nation notion that they were God's favourites. And so they became filled with a racial pride and a, and a hatred for others. They despised Gentiles as dogs. They developed traditions that kept them as far apart as possible. And yet that was all so far removed from God's plan to bless all nations through Israel. And we begin to see a glimpse of that in Genesis uh, 48, the reading that we've just had. And as you listen to it, uh, I'm sure loads of you are thinking, well, what's this got to do with race and whether God is colorblind or not? And I would have thought that too, until I had my eyes opened by uh, an American biblical scholar who's black, uh, Dr. McCauley. Here's the context for this little passage. God had promised Abraham, uh, that he would bless him and making him a great nation. That promise was repeated to Jacob, his grandson, that he would be blessed and would be uh, through him, God would bless all nations. And by the time Jacob is an old man, he gets to meet two of his grandsons for the very first time. They're sons of Jacob's son, Joseph. And here's what I read that opened my eyes. He wrote, uh, black Christians will be familiar with the story of Joseph, who was enslaved and sold by his brothers to Egypt. Eventually, Joseph rose to power, ending up second only to Pharaoh. Pharaoh also gave Joseph an Egyptian wife, Asenath, by whom he had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And when Jacob, nearing the end of his life, meets these two half Egyptian, half Jewish boys, uh, grandsons, he recalls the promises that God made to him many years earlier. So he says to Joseph, look, God Almighty said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I'll make you a company of many peoples. Therefore, your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt are now mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are. And uh, Dr. McCauley, this um, African-American scholar, goes on. He says, Jacob sees the brown flesh and African origin of these two grandsons as the beginning of God's fulfillment of his promise to make Jacob a community of different nations and ethnicities. And for that reason, he claims these two boys as his own. These two boys become two of the 12 tribes of Israel. So Egypt and Africa are not outside of God's people. African blood flows into Israel from the beginning as a fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The 12 tribes of Israel were never biologically pure. They were always multi-ethnic and multinational. 
black people are the first of those joined to Abraham's and Jacob's family in anticipation of the rest of the nations of the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that is fantastic. Two mixed race boys are proof that God's plans to bless the nations are beginning to be fulfilled. Black people are at the heart of God's plans for the world. I'm not sure I would have ever seen that particular thing from that particular passage. I needed a black African-American scholar to open my eyes to see that. So that's the beginning of the biblical arc about this theme of nations. Let me quickly show you the end of the biblical arc, which might be more familiar. It's words from the book of Revelation, which I used right at the beginning of this service. The Apostle John is having his vision of, uh, from God about what the end of the ages will look like. And he says this, deliberately echoing the words from Genesis. He says, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, Jesus. And so God's promise to bring blessing to all nations finds its ultimate fulfillment in that wonderful scene in the new creation. A great multitude of believers from every nation, tribe, people and language. Now, there are about 200 countries in the world at the moment. They will all be represented. There are more than 100 uncontacted tribes in the world. People from each of them will be there too. According to ethnologue.com, there are 7,117 languages in the world. And we will hear each and every one of those languages in the new creation. We won't suddenly all speak the same language in heaven, be it Hebrew or English or whatever you happen to think is the most important language in the world. God doesn't have a favourite language. They will all be spoken. You know, as an Englishman living in England, I'm so used to my mother tongue being the majority language. In heaven, I want to be in the minority. Wouldn't it be great if there were more Mandarin Chinese speakers than English? Maybe there'll be more Hindi speakers than English. We're going to get to listen to God being praised in Arabic and Bengali and Portuguese and Urdu and Marathi and Japanese and Tamil and Punjabi and so many more. You see, the book of Revelation keeps repeating this statement that there are going to be people from every tribe and language and people and nation, not just to reassure us of God's plans for the world, but to point out that we will retain our distinct cultures and ethnicities in the new creation. We won't suddenly all morph together into some homogenous culture and language, because each and every culture and language reflects something unique about being made in the image of God. Some people think that it's good to be colorblind when it comes to race, to say that there's no difference between us all. Actually, there are differences between us, and that is part of God's good design. God loves those differences. He made those differences. And so God is not colorblind. Each and every culture and language brings unique glory and honour and praise to God. 
And as we listen and learn to Christians from different backgrounds, we see more and more of God's power to save and transform lives. And we catch more and more glimpses of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You know, I've got so much to learn from North Korean Christians about what it means to take up my cross each and every day. I've got so much to learn from Ethiopian Christians about what it means to pray, give us today our daily bread. I've got so much to learn from African-American Christians about what the biblical themes of freedom from slavery and being a slave to Christ mean in practice. I had a wonderful reminder of all this uh, this week. Susie, who prayed the uh, French version of the Lord's Prayer for us earlier on, told me that praying the Lord's Prayer in French has a much more profound effect on her than praying it in English. Partly because God is addressed in the two form, not the vous form. Now, I don't know if you remember that from uh, school child uh, French. Mine is very rusty indeed, but I was taught that, um, you know, people who are senior to you and in authority and so on, they're addressed as vous. And it's only other children or, or people in your family maybe that are addressed as two. And I might have assumed that God is addressed as vous. You know, he's in authority over us. But no, in the French Lord's Prayer, God is addressed as two. He is someone we can know someone who loves us, not someone distant to us. And, and the English word you just doesn't pick up those nuances, does it? And do you see that I learn more of God as I listen to a French speaker teach me? And so people from every tribe and language and nation are precious to God and therefore they should be precious to us too. We have so much to learn from each other. And yet, sadly, very few churches reflect the wonderful diversity of God's people, ours included. It's sometimes said that the most segregated time of the week in America is 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And sometimes I fear that's true here as well. You know, our schools are much more racially diverse than we are as a church. The hospital, both the patients and the staff, are much more racially diverse than we are as a church. The church should be leading the way in demonstrating how different nationalities and cultures can be united in Christ. But sadly, we're trailing behind. Shame on us. Shame on us. We have so much to repent of. And so the rest of my time today, I just want to bring a few suggestions as to things that we can each do better. We must each do better if we're going to be better at representing God's multinational, multicultural people to the world. And I'd encourage each of you to become more self-aware of your own biases and prejudices. Anna talked about unconscious bias. bias. That's when without realising it or, or meaning it, we treat people differently in this context because of their skin colour. Let me give you an example. Um, an analysis was done recently of the words that football commentators use to describe different players. 
and they're more likely to, de to describe white players as making uh, intelligent decisions. Oh, that was an intelligent pass. And they're more likely to describe black players as having uh, strength and speed. But some of the black players will be more intelligent than the white players, and some of the white players will actually be stronger or faster than the black players. But you see, it reveals an unconscious bias in how we think of different races. One black professor with loads of university degrees and who's published lots of books routinely gets mistaken for a delivery driver. That reveals unconscious bias. And I took an online uh, unconscious bias test uh, a few weeks ago, and it was laid on by a top university. I don't know whether their methodology was sound or not, but it showed that I have a large amount of unconscious bias towards associating positive things with white people and negative things with black people. So I'm becoming more aware of my own unconscious bias and prejudice. Can I encourage you to take that same uncomfortable journey? And, and can I encourage you also to, to listen and learn from people who are a different race to you? I've watched films, I've listened to podcasts, I've read books, and of course, nothing beats talking with people one-on-one, -on -one, as Anna did, and asking them to describe their experiences. I've learned so much. One thing I learned was about microaggression, an everyday remark or question or action that is made to a member of a minority group. So one black pastor said that if he steps into a lift in a shopping centre uh, and there's already a white uh, woman in that lift, they will often instinctively clutch their handbag slightly closer to them. That's a microaggression. I think of the days when we're able to have services in the church building and, uh, you know, someone new comes along and we'd often ask, oh, where are you from? And if it's a black person from London, sometimes they then get asked, and where are you from before that? How does that make them feel if they've been born and brought up in London? That is microaggression. And so can I encourage you to listen and learn from people who are a different race to you? And if you're white, to build up uh, an honest, uh, genuine friendship, uh, to have the courage to ask people of colour to share their experiences with you. And if you're from a BAME background, to, to take the painful step of being honest. I can't tell how difficult it is for you to do that. But I can tell you that it's incredibly important for us white people to hear your stories and insights and perspectives. And then what do we need to do as a church to help us become more truly the people that God wants us to be? This multinational, multi-ethnic community united in Christ. Well, one step, I think, is for us to make sure that we genuinely value the diversity we already have by integrating that diversity into our public worship. When I was on sabbatical, I was so moved. One of the other churches I went to in Southampton, uh, some of their songs were sung partly in English and partly in other languages. And everyone joined in all bits of those songs. 
I loved it. See, one of the other phrases I've learned over the last few months is integration fatigue. That's the exhaustion that comes from um, amongst the minority, from, from being a member of the minority and having to constantly speak and act in a way that the majority culture does in an attempt to be understood and accepted. And a diverse church is no good if we simply expect people from BAME backgrounds to take part as if they are white. That goes against the whole revelation picture where every culture and language has something uniquely valuable to bring to worship. And so I wonder how can we be better, not just at diversity, but at genuine integration. Now there's so much more that could be said. I've said enough for now. But I hope this starts a conversation in coffee time afterwards and in our small groups and cell groups and between friends and neighbours and so on. Some of the conversations are going to be difficult and painful, but it will be so worthwhile and it will help us to become more the church that God wants us to be. So here's what we're going to do next. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to put some a couple of questions on the screen and I just want you to reflect on those quietly for a couple of minutes to help process what we've heard. So let me pray for us first. Heavenly Father, Lord of the nations, I lament the injustices which Anna and many others have received on account of their race or their nationality. I lament that so often the church doesn't lead the way in racial diversity but lags behind. I repent of keeping quiet and therefore becoming part of the problem. I repent of the racist assumptions I see in my heart. Lord, would you continue to open my eyes to the glory and wonder of your plans for the nations? Would you continue to open my eyes to the bias within me? Would you open my heart to the ongoing transforming work of your spirit? And would you make us as a church more reflective of the diversity in our area and show us how to delight and value that diversity as a sign of your creative goodness? Come Holy Spirit. Come Lord Jesus. And move amongst us. Amen. So can we have those questions on the screen, please, and just a couple of minutes of quiet to reflect on them in your own hearts.